The computers used to create valuable new Bitcoin tokens and validate transactions consume around the same amount of energy as a medium-sized country such as Sweden would generate. Hence the stinging critique of how this cryptocurrency wastes the planet's precious resources. The best in Bitcoin made audible. I am Guy Swan and this is Bitcoin Audible. What is up, guys? Welcome back to Bitcoin Audible. I am Guy Swan, the guy who has read more about Bitcoin than anybody else you know. And we have got a phenomenal little article today. This, I think, is a powerful indication of the changing narrative around Bitcoin. And of course, it's a slow, piecemeal change, but that's what happens when the truth is slowly uncovered from a really easy-to-spread and enticing lie that everyone loves to just tell everyone else. As Charles McKay said is, Men, it will be well said, think in herds. It will be seen that they go mad in herds, while they only recover their senses slowly and one by one. It reminds me, actually, of a fascinating book called The Madness of Crowds by Douglas Murray. That's where I got that quote from originally, and uh, I love that. such a good book. You should check that out. I will have that in the show notes. This podcast is sponsored by Swan Bitcoin, the place to buy, learn, and integrate Bitcoin into your entire financial life. They have low, transparent fees and a huge set of resources and features and all sorts of services that they provide for all of the different ways you want to be exposed to Bitcoin. And they will teach you everything about cold storage, which you will get with your cold card hardware wallet. This show is also sponsored by CoinKite, the makers of the cold card, the tap signer, the open dime, the cold card Q1, the best in Bitcoin security and hardware devices. If you do not have one yet, you must check them out at bitcoinaudible.com slash cold card. Links to both will be in the show notes. But this article is about what is happening in Africa. And we have talked about the company Gridless on the show. I cannot remember in what context or where, but I know it has come up before on the show. And it is fascinating to see this happening in the wild and to see it being reported on, to see what the, what the actual results are of boots on the ground, of using Bitcoin in its quote-unquote pioneer species way, under the pioneer species thesis. How can it bring energy to disparate sources and disparate places that are disconnected from the world, disconnected from the grid? How can it make this economical in a way that subsidies, foreign aid, all of these other things have utterly and completely failed? Can Bitcoin actually step in and make this change? This, if you do not know about what is going on or you haven't heard about it, you must listen to this article. And that is why we are going to delay no further and we will jump right into it. The article today is titled, The African Village Mining Bitcoin, by Ian Burrell. Bundu is a scattered cluster of villages in a remote region of Malawi, near the border with Mozambique. It sits in the foothills of Mount Muanje, where residents rely on their feet for transport and a few crops to feed their families. Yet, unlike in most places in this impoverished country, when night descends, 
they can now switch on their lights, stoves, and televisions in their homes. For electricity has arrived in Bundu. Three turbines were installed in a micro-hydro scheme exploiting the fertile region's rainfall, and the impact has been life-changing for the 1,800 homes so far connected to a mini-grid. Children can study after dark, so now have a better chance of passing the exams for secondary school, rather than having to leave at age 11. Drugs and food can be stored in fridges, so villagers do not have to make the 12-mile trek to the hospital and can produce batches of food or drinks to sell at market. Cooking the evening meal is three times quicker and far less destructive to the environment without the need to collect firewood. One group of women giggled when I asked if they had televisions and watched football in their homes. Before, our husbands would say they were going off to watch football when they were really walking out with other women. Now they can no longer claim they are going off for football, Bertha told me. The senior chief told me they had never dreamed of having energy supplied to the villages with a dozen maize mills, many small enterprises, schools, shops, and churches also connected to the grid. When you move around Bundu, you see happy people, and that's because of electricity. Yet the big surprise in Bundu is not simply the supply of energy to such an isolated community in a country where only one in eight citizens has access to grid electricity and on a continent where almost half the 1.2 billion population still lack this life-changing supply. The real eye-opener is the stack of 32 computers inside the concrete pump shed. This innovative mini-grid located more than two hours from Malawi's second city of Blantyr, along bumpy roads and tracks that can become impassable in a torrential downpour, is mining Bitcoin to fund its operation. It is a smart idea. The computers used to create valuable new Bitcoin tokens and validate transactions consume around the same amount of energy as a medium-sized country such as Sweden would generate. Hence, the stinging critique of how this cryptocurrency wastes the planet's precious resources. This initiative flips that narrative by using Bitcoin mining to fund energy in parts of Africa that are too poor or remote to merit connection to grids, but which do have plentiful supplies of potential power sources. Mining soaks up the excess energy of these renewable plants, and this delivers not just electricity, but a powerful jolt to drive development in the local economy. This concept comes from a Kenyan firm, Gridless, set up in 2022, whose backers include Twitter founder Jack Dorsey. There are four other sites in Kenya and Zambia and plans for scores more across the continent. Its aim is to demonstrate how Africa could play a central role in countering the conventional belief that Bitcoin, now 15 years old, is used simply for risky speculation and dodgy transactions. Instead, it backs those who claim it will lead to more inclusive financial systems as it usurps the control of dysfunctional governments and manipulative central banks. It will also release the community from reliance on foreign handouts to survive. The Bundu power plants were built by Mount Muanje Conservation Trust, a local group trying to protect the mountain region's unique biodiversity and were initially supported by finance from aid and development agencies. But now, Bitcoin covers the running costs. 
This offers a commercial incentive that does not rely on altruism or subsidies to deliver power to remote regions while exploiting energy waste at times of low use, such as overnight. Malawi, one of the world's poorest nations, provides a powerful case study in the failures of aid. As former development minister Rory Stewart said in a lecture at Yale, Britain gave £4.5 billion over half a century to this southern African country, corroded by corruption and bad governance. Yet it ended up, quote, if anything, poorer than it was when we started. Quote, Bitcoin can prevent Bundu from becoming the sort of white elephant that you see across Africa, built by aid groups and then abandoned, said Eric Hirschman, chief executive of Gridless. He admits that he is not a big fan of the sector. Quote, they come in with low-cost loans and grants to finance all these schemes that they say will pay their way in 30 years, but the sums never add up. This is a new way to finance development. Malawi also demonstrates another reason why there is rising interest in Bitcoin in Africa. People are seeking a safer home for their cash than local currencies. Prices rose sharply after its currency was devalued two months ago by 44% against the U.S. dollar, the second decrease in the value of the kwacha in 18 months. Many African countries on the continent have suffered also from catastrophic inflation. While official currency conversion rates can be significantly lower than street rates, one Kenyan entrepreneur told me she turned to the cryptocurrency after seeing her savings constantly eroded, even in a country with lower than average inflation for the continent. Quote, I was trying to save to buy a house but kept finding my sums declining. I wanted more stability so tried Bitcoin and then found it had other uses, said Marcel Lorraine, founder of Bitcoin Dada. Her clients include a trader of alternative health products in a Nairobi street market who found it much cheaper to use than changing currencies after being introduced to it by a Nigerian customer and is now hoping it will provide a stable platform for building her business to obtain a shop. While Warren Buffett dismissed Bitcoin as, quote, probably rat poison squared, and The Economist Paul Krugman has compared it to a Ponzi scam fueled by libertarian fantasies and, quote, techno babble, devotees see it as a liberating force due to the decentralized design created by its mysterious and pseudonymous creator, Satoshi Nakamoto. BlackRock, the world's biggest asset manager, has even applied to launch a Bitcoin exchange-traded fund that may open up the market to the U.S. wealth management industry. Certainly, Bitcoin, for all its fluctuations, can seem comparatively reliable if you live in Africa, or indeed many other parts of the planet, from Argentina to Lebanon. Quote, This is what I have seen everywhere, said Peter McCormick, who travels the world for a Bitcoin podcast. Here is an alternative to gold and property for a middle class that has some money and patience, but is seeing expenses and costs rise while savings decline in value. And a strong middle class helps build a strong economy by driving consumer spending, reducing reliance on the state, and driving innovation and entrepreneurship. End quote. Bitcoin has also become a helpful tool for activists and journalists in dictatorships, since it makes it far harder to track funds. In Togo, a West African state run by one despotic family since 1967, it is used to channel cash to opposition and civil society leaders despite the freezing of bank accounts. 
Bitcoin has been instrumental in delivering donations to Alexei Navalny's anti-corruption foundation in Russia and the pro-democracy movements in Belarus and Myanmar. Alex Gladstein, chief strategy officer for the Human Rights Foundation and author of a book arguing that Bitcoin offers freedom from archaic monetary systems and political strife, believes the cryptocurrency is especially exciting for Africans since they suffer, quote, all kinds of financial repression. He points out that there are 45 currencies on the continent, with 15 still controlled by France, with high transaction fees on conversion deals that are largely processed by Western firms with heavily fluctuating rates. Quote, Bitcoin provides an escape and an alternative for Africans while its use is less limited than some people think. He says, entrepreneurs there have figured out how people without the internet can use Bitcoin, which is frankly remarkable. This agility is typical of the technological innovation exploding across Africa driven by a young, rapidly growing, and increasingly well-educated population. Quote, The beautiful thing about Bitcoin is that it is a bottom-up technology, and its adoption has been genuine at all levels, said one key figure at the second African Bitcoin conference in Ghana at the end of last year. Only time will tell if Satoshi's invention will turn out to be a bubble with bad consequences or, as optimists believe, a driver of profound change in the world. The fraud conviction of Sam Bankman-Fried, who ran one of the world's biggest cryptocurrency exchanges, and admission of money laundering by the boss of another major exchange, has hurt the reputation of cryptocurrencies for many in the West. But Bitcoin certainly seems to offer something positive in societies scarred by autocracy, colonialism, military coups, and woeful governance as seen with those computers in a concrete shed in rural Malawi turning water into streams of cash to fund electricity. This episode is brought to you by the Cold Card Hardware Wallet and all of the other amazing devices at CoinKite.com. And speaking of using Bitcoin while it's offline, without the internet, CoinKite also makes both the Open Dime and the Sats card. So both of these are secure ways to transfer to just hand over Bitcoin by sending it to a key generated on the card or in the open dime. And the only way to get it out of the open dime is to literally break the device. It's a little USB stick. Therefore, if you check the address and the device is not broken, the device is the only thing that has the Bitcoin. And the SATS card, you can actually take the Bitcoin off of it and reuse it up to 10 times. So you have those options on top of the incredible cold card hardware wallet, which they have the cold card Mark IV, and then they also have uh, coming very soon the Q1, which is a new cold card that actually looks like a BlackBerry. It's got a full keyboard, and there's going to be a lot of added functionality and ways to utilize this as a secure device for tons of other, both Bitcoin and then also just general security purposes. These hardware devices and hardware wallets are the best ways to separate your keys from the internet, from, you know, security hole ridden devices like your phone, but still be able to use them on something like your mobile device. My favorite setup is the combination of the tap signer, a coin kite device, the cold card, and my nunchuck mobile wallet. If you haven't explored it, you must check it out and you can get 9% off with code Bitcoin Audible, all one word. Check it out. The link is right in the show notes. This article was amazing. 
I really, really love this article and just kind of the the recognition. This is something that I've seen a lot recently. It seems like the tide is turning on the narrative around Bitcoin being wasteful of energy. Obviously, it's not. It certainly hasn't completely shifted over. There's still a staggering amount of ignorant people who, you know, read a headline or read the first paragraph of some article three years ago and still just completely believe something that they know nothing about. But that's honestly an inescapable truism. Like, it's just going to happen for an enormous amount of people. But increasingly, Bitcoin is basically proving the opposite. Bitcoin has been a huge boon, a plethora of various unreliable and, uh, what's the word? Outliers, like they're, they're, they're too distant, they're, um, it gets just remote or inaccessible energy sources in the traditional sense. That because there's no simple connection to the grid or because the energy source isn't even great enough to justify a billion dollar, uh, you know, they're so remote that you couldn't even, that just the, the capacity that you lose over the transmission line makes it completely inaccessible or the sheer amount of transmission line needed to connect it to a population center is just insanely uneconomical, even though it's actually a pretty robust energy source if it was being t uh, utilized locally. And then just in general with solar panels and uh, wind turbines and uh, even geysers and you know hydro, these things that produce energy in either in very highly fluctuating amounts or at unreliable and inconsistent times, what ends up happening is rather than this symbiotic, like, oh, we're in love and we're, you know, we're in harmony with nature sort of arrangement, what you actually have is a staggering amount of energy waste, like an ungodly amount, way worse than something that you can actually just burn and have turned on and turned off you don't, which you don't waste nearly as much of it because all you need is a gap to make sure that you're fluctuating so that the frequency doesn't get too high or too low while people are turning on and off machines. Energy that can be quickly and responsively uh, ramped up and ramped down is a very reliable and a very strong energy source that's also going to be cheaper. Cheaper because it's actually utilizing as much as it possibly can. There is very little waste. These things like solar, wind, uh, hydro, and these other disparate kind of remote energy sources, they are the highest degree of waste energy sources by an enormous amount. And no, it's not fixed with batteries. You don't even, we don't even have enough lithium on planet Earth to store. I, I can't think the statistics was like a, one or two days worth of batteries to, to run everything just in the United States. Lithium on planet Earth, on the planet, the substance necessary to create the batteries. As much as everybody talks about batteries being the solution to this, this disconnect between the use of energy and its creation, there is nothing close to an economical solution that works at scale. Nothing. It's just a fairy tale. But by some crazy turn of fate, Bitcoin, the thing that supposedly wastes all of this energy, this ability to viably purchase energy in any form at any time and extremely quickly regulate turning on and turning off the machine. So one of the things, going back to the idea that 
the reason a burned fuel is so much more efficient from the context of like not wasting any of the energy is because you can quickly ramp it up and ramp it down. This means it can respond to the demand of its usage. Well, it turns out in the reverse, if you have an energy source that you can't just randomly ramp up or tune down, and it's just going to run and produce energy whenever the hell you want it, what you need is an energy user that actually can make economic use of that energy to, an, to both a small scale and a huge scale that can actually pay you and easily and quickly and without major cost or major disruption turn on or turn off, ramp up or tune down their use of the energy. But guess what? We don't really have that. That hasn't existed prior to Bitcoin. You can't just turn off a bunch of Netflix servers because the solar panels aren't producing any more energy. If people's videos just cut off or the bandwidth dropped by like 90% because of some fluctuation in the energy source while people were using it, well, then it would just, you would, it, that's it. That's it. Nobody's going to use Netflix. I guarantee you some of you people have gotten those letters or emails or texts from your, you know, uh, energy company or whatever when it's about to be insanely cold or insanely hot some at some day. And they say, make sure to cut all your stuff off at noon, between noon and two o'clock. And I bet none of you cut your air conditioning off. There is practically no consumer of energy that can easily and without major disruptions or major trade-offs cut off their energy consumption. Certainly not at scale, like maybe like a 1% or 2% fraction, like these kind of edge cases that just kind of balance out the edge, the, you know, the fluff, you know, the foam on top of the coffee, but certainly not something that can do it in the tune of megawatts on or off in a matter of minutes or just a sh extremely short span of time, which means that those, those sources of energy just produce massive amounts of energy that nobody gets any money for. It just it makes it an economically stupid investment. That's why the only reason it's being built out is because of staggering, staggering government subsidies and fiat financing. But now we have Bitcoin. And the really beautiful thing about Bitcoin is that it's a progress-less endeavor, which means that you don't lose anything when by stopping mining for like a few minutes. Like an example is I use my miner to heat my basement and I, I run it all night and then I come down, and, you know, it's like, it was like 25 degrees last night and my basement is not very well insulated. I have like a couple of like roughly cut pieces of styrofoam that are just shoved up into the vents, but I still have open vents to outside, like tw one, two, I don't know, like 10, 12 of these things just sitting around this room. And the, the door itself that I put in, also not very well sealed. But one miner running all night on normal power gets it pretty warm in here. And I can just come down, and the thing's loud, because I haven't bothered doing anything with the sound. Um, and I just come down here and I unplug it. Doesn't, doesn't do anything. It doesn't mean that like anything in the seconds that I was hashing is lost, or that there's like two minutes of like, Oh, now, now that's not, you know, those hashes aren't as valuable as the previous hashes that were running during the, the course. Nope. Every single hash, every single one of them, which I do, uh, that thing runs at like 90 tera hashes per second or something like that. Um, so that's, here, let me check real quick. I'll just get the actual number. 
the one downstairs isn't running, but the one that I have in my attic plugged into my ducting uh, is still going strong. And I have a nice little Python app uh, built with the help of both Arceris and ChatGPT to show me my stats. And what are my stats? Okay, so the one upstairs is temperature 78 degrees Celsius, and it's running at 81.8 terahashes. So that's about 82... I think that's brilliant. Quadrillion. I think that's right. 82 quadrillion hashes every single second. And every single one of them is independent. If I did 81 quadrillion hashes, then it doesn't affect the other one quadrillion hashes at all. It is literally like rolling dice. There is nothing about doing it a billion times that has any effect or progress related to the next rolling of the dice. So all that means is that you can cut it on and cut it off at any time and every single hash is still going to give you the relative probability that you have to find a block at any one given moment. Which means that you can cut it off for 20 seconds. You can cut a hundred machines off for an hour and then cut them back on and there's no loss in service, there's no disruption to the network, there's no functional, like legitimate change to the operation of the Bitcoin network. The Bitcoin network is explicitly designed and the structure of the system is entirely designed so that the entire network is reliable and consistent even with extremely unreliable and inconsistent hardware and hashing operations underpinning the success of the network or underpinning the operation and the confirmations of that network the best case or the, the best example of insanely how insanely powerful that element of the bitcoin network is is the fact that china banned bitcoin mining in 2020 crap i can't even remember now a couple of years ago China banned Bitcoin mining while they were actually the largest source of hash power on the planet. And in a matter of like four to six months, half of the entire network hash power shut down, picked up, got on, you know, containers and in cars and pickup trucks, shipped out to somewhere else in the world, found a different energy source, plugged in and started hashing again. And nothing at all disrupted the Bitcoin network operation. I was using it during the entire time and I would have never known a thing if I had not been following the news. I'd have had no clue that there was any sort of disruption. Did half of the global infrastructure keeping Bitcoin running shut down, moved to someone else, somewhere else on planet Earth and turned back on? That is an incredible feat that no other network or service can really boast on the planet. I don't know of anything else that could survive without any disruption. And one of the critical and fascinating characteristics that this gives Bitcoin is the fact that it can turn on and turn off and profitably use megawatts worth of energy at any given moment. And even crazier, it can do it at two o'clock in the morning it can do it at high noon. It can do it in the middle of Antarctica, 3,000 miles away from any relevant customer. And it can do it without any grid or any connection. And all it needs is a tiny satellite cell phone 
uh, low band radio, whatever the hell you need, tiny connection to the internet, just so it can get the latest block and start hashing. Check that, it technically only needs the block header, which means that you could really do it over like CB radio. And this, by the way, is a critical um, part of actually making, especially the larger the grid you make, to have demand response programs. This is like one of the articles that came out not too long ago was uh, ERCOT paying a bunch of Bitcoin miners to shut off and everybody are literally just up in arms, just screaming and squealing, ah, the government's paying Bitcoin miners, you idiots. I'm just like, you don't know, like these people don't know the first thing about running a grid. They would, nobody's going to just arbitrarily pay a bunch of Bitcoin miners to cut off. Why do you think someone would do that? Why do you think a power company would pay somebody to cut the energy off? Maybe, just maybe, you don't understand how the grid works. These are long-term contracts that they explicitly make with them that they are gleeful about because they don't have anyone else who can buy really big contracts for exactly this purpose. They pay them because it allows them to lower the cost of energy by letting them sell it to them when nobody else is buying it. It's a demand response program. The enormous amounts of energy, the, the, uh, uh, there's a really great um, report. It's a few years old now, but it's just generally uh, kind of an overarching assessment of the electrical grid and how energy is used and where it's lost uh, by the LNLL, which I can't remember what that stands for. Um, but about a third of all energy created is lost just in the transmission lines and in inactive sitting devices at the end that are just kind of passively using it. Another third, an entire third, is lost because it's produced when no one can use it. When we add tons of new renewable uh, solar, wind, hydro, all of these sorts of energy production into the grid, that number goes up. The amount of energy that doesn't get used and doesn't get paid for that gets thrown away. Only a third of what is produced, the remaining third, actually gets actively used and paid for. Which means that if you, just in a theoretical sense, if you could find an economical way to utilize that energy that is lost when it's produced because there's no buyer there in order to pick it up, you could, in a sense, cut the price of energy in half because you're cutting out half of the waste. You're, uh, technically, it's 100% of the waste. 100% of the energy that is actually utilized and paid for is equal to the amount that is wasted and not paid for without adding any new production. That's the status of our grid. The reason a grid provider and an uh, energy producer would pay someone to cut off during times of high demand is because they are the ones buying up that energy that everyone else is throwing away when no one is there to use it. This is why we say Bitcoin does not waste energy. Bitcoin uses wasted energy. Again, going back to just the theoretical numbers, people say, like, even this article pulled the, the crap of, but it uses more energy than Sweden and some small countries. Well, guess what? 
energy equal to a third of all of the countries on planet Earth is wasted. So we better caveat that statement with what kind of energy Bitcoin is using. Because theoretically, Bitcoin could use up the exact same amount as all uses of energy on planet Earth. It could equal the consumption of the entire planet. And if the LNLL analysis of wasted energy is even roughly correct, it could technically do so without adding a single megawatt of new energy production. It could do it without taking any energy away from anything that is actually useful for some other purpose. Now, of course, that's insanely theoretical and the practical realities of that aren't even really close, but also neither is, by orders of magnitude, the actual use of energy by Bitcoin. And that's not even to include the, the, uh, the vented and burned off, the flared off methane that is being capped and used to mine Bitcoin. Another thing that is explicitly remote, that explicitly has no other consumer and no possible alternative use for it, they can literally get paid for better and more completely disposing of something that they would otherwise just vent off into the atmosphere or burn. And what's cool about this, what's really cool about this, is that this is the pioneer species thesis. So if you saw the reboot from, you know, a couple days, a week ago, or whenever, of Bitcoin is a pioneer species, this is what it's talking about, is the fact that even if you're not connected to the grid, even if you're disconnected from other population units or, or population, populated locations, that if you're not a big enough population center to justify the expansion of the grid and there's too much, uh, too much space between you and the, the neighboring community and the community is too poor to take advantage of this, Bitcoin can fill in that gap. Bitcoin can provide that investment that upfront investment to to actually justify the financing of taking advantage of every energy source no matter where it is it's just crazy to see to see it in action you know we've talked about it for years and it's actually happening out in the world and when we have a new bitcoin bull run which we appear to be on the cusp of think about what that is going to do for these communities and for the expansion of this sort of infrastructure all over the globe. And another thing I like that he points out, and this is something that Gladstein covers really well in both his, his written works that we've covered on the show and his articles, and also obviously his incredible book, uh, Check Your Financial Privilege, which I did the audiobook for. Uh, I, will have, uh, the link to, I will have the link to that book in the show notes uh, if you want to check it out. And if you haven't read it or listened to it, you definitely should. It's a phenomenal piece. But one thing that is noted and that is lost on so many people in the West who are like, Bitcoin has no use case, is the insane amounts of devaluation and the insane volatility and unreliability of these currencies all across the essentially the global South. All these small countries that are isolated, that have no external, like no foreign investment. Nobody's going to take a loan denominated in, you know, some... Uh, some, you know, Malawi currency? Are you going to uh, hold any Malawi kwacha in your bank account? No. And on top of that, you've got despotic governments, you've got autocracies that just aggressively devalue, and the IMF is loaning to these people and just basically propping up these massive, corrupt, authoritarian regimes. 
just because they're doing the bidding and they're doing the structural adjustment plans that the IMF wants them to. The whole thing is a scam. And the, the people in those countries are the ones paying for all of this. They're the ones being forced to hold the bag of this complete government and financial scam. And if you do not have reliable money, if you can't plan, if you can't make an investment that actually can, can see it to fruition, that actually has 12 months, two years worth of consistency in your ability to communicate that value and finance or plan according to the relative costs, because you actually have some sort of a unit to measure that cost in. If you don't have that, you literally don't have society. You, you can't build a society without it. It's, it's one of the most fundamental pieces. It's like trying to build an organism without blood. If you do not have a mechanism to distribute the resources properly and with communication between the cells so it knows which cells need the resources and which ones have the resources, you simply will not ever have an organism. In that exact same way, an unreliable money that keeps getting devalued destroys the society. It destroys the ability to invest over the long term. It destroys the ability to communicate such that the money is not even the same for one person or another, which that's the whole point of the money is that our relationship to it, even though we're disparate, even though we're different, even though we have different values, we live in completely different areas and the resources are chaotic and unreliable and supply chains move and change and technology moves and changes that the money uh, in in comparison to all of it, the money stays consistent. Therefore, it can be a measure of all. It's the mirror. It's the, it's the thermometer for making a, an economic assessment of all of the other activity that's happening. It's the reflection of what is happening to the real resources in the real world. Bitcoin is already at all-time highs in tons of currencies because those currencies are so shit. Not one of those people is concerned about Bitcoin's volatility because volatile current fiat fiat is far and away the most volatile and destructive period of monetary technology we have ever had. Like 99% of all hyperinflationary periods have occurred in the last 150 years. I think the report by... Um, Oh man, I'll see if I can't find it. I can't. I can't think of the name off of the top of my head. Um, but uh, I read through it. It's, fa it's fascinating. I mean, it's a pretty dry read. It, it's a report, but I believe there was one before 150 years ago that they noted as a hyperinflationary period. I wish I could remember which example. I wish I could remember which one it was. Anyway, I'll see if I can find that, and I'll link to it in the show notes if I can. But this was a phenomenal article and such a cool development to see Gridless in action and what they are doing over in Kenya and Malawi and in these African nations. And I just think, as I said, it's, it's been a little while since I had an episode on something going on in Africa because I'm kind of just disconnected from that community largely. But as I said then, uh, I feel like the ability to any sort of technology that can free that population from the autocracies that they are under, from their authoritarian governments, and give them the ability to economically coordinate and exchange and trade without that central control is going to unlock an absolute avalanche of prosperity and growth. Africa is a sleeping giant. And I think this is an excellent 
example of how Bitcoin may fundamentally change the landscape and start breaking new ground and fostering incredible growth. And I am 100% here for it. That is going to be fascinating to watch, especially as the West basically rots into insanity. So anyway, with that, uh, uh, we will close this one here. Thank you so much for, it was Ian? Ian Burrell. I hope I, hope I said that right. Um, uh, for that article, a shout out to Alex Gladstein uh, in that one. And also a huge thank you to the Audionauts for always supporting this show and sharing this show out and reviewing. I love you all and you have been longtime supporters and fans of the show. And uh, I want you to know how much I appreciate it. And of course, a massive thank you to Swan Bitcoin and CoinKite for being sponsors of this show and for being services, having services and products that I love and use all the time. Don't forget to check them out. Links and discounts and special goodies are right there in the show notes. With that, thank you guys so much for listening. I will catch you back here on the next episode of Bitcoin Audible. And until then, everybody, take it easy, guys. Technological change is not additive, it is ecological. A new technology does not merely add something, it changes everything. Neil Postman